once again to the book of Romans, the 14th verse I want to pick up this morning where we left off last week. I had mentioned to you that I wanted to speak upon the conscience. Um, I think that that would, it's a good place. I look back to see, I think it was in, I mean, I've been preaching since 96, 1996, and I think the first time I preached on a message on the conscience was like 2008. I was looking back to see some of my old notes on the conscience. And, um, of course, we have mentioned the conscience already in our study, you know, in the book of Romans, but, um, and we'll go through some of those things briefly, you know, this morning just to kind of remind ourselves. But, but where, we, where we are has to do with being fully persuaded in our own mind. So let's, let's read beginning in verse number 5. Romans 14, verse number 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be persuaded in his own mind. So what are we saying? Do we need to persuade them? Let them be persuaded. Isn't that what God's Word says? Let them be persuaded in their own mind. Does that mean we don't have a discussion? We can have a discussion. But let them be persuaded in their own mind. I'll go ahead and use it, Brother Jerry. You said maybe you use that today. Brother Jerry came up to me. He got tie on, don't he? I used to wear a tie every Sunday. I wear one this morning. Cohen doesn't have one. Ryan doesn't have one. Andrew didn't have one. Donnie didn't have one. JT didn't. Brother Jerry's the only one that got one. So are we all going to gather around him later and tell him why he shouldn't be wearing a tie? <laughs> and vice versa, does Brother Jerry need to come alongside us and say, Brothers, I've noticed something. Your ties are absent. If you don't have one, i got a bunch of them at the house. I'll bring you one. I'll teach you how to tie it. And just make sure, like he was saying, that the bottom of it ends right there above your belt buckle. You know, and if it's too long or too short, I will critique you every Sunday. You know, so you know we could use that as an illustration. We could use masks during COVID. Uh, I don't think that I've mentioned that from the pulpit. I may have, but I know I mentioned it back here one day when we were sitting around eating. Um, you know, when all that was going on, some people wore them, some people didn't. Women covering their head. We've been to churches where women wore wore coverings, and um, if you didn't have one. There was a table just like that one back there. It had a little drawer, and you open it up, and you get your little doily, and you put it on there, you know, and where you made sure you had yours when you were in services. So do we need to say, well, that was silly, people wearing, you know, head coverings, and, and them say, well, I can't believe that y'all don't wear head coverings. Uh, well, you know, this is the sort of thing we're talking about, right? I mean, but, but can't people major on those minors? Absolutely. I mean, whole, whole denominations are built, you know, on those sorts of things. So, you know, no, Brother Jerry doesn't tell us, need to tell us we need to wear a tie. If, if the Lord convicts us that we need to put one on, guess what? The Lord can do that. And, and we would wear one to the glory of God, you know, not just because Brother Jerry said you need to wear one. 
You know, how much power do we have in our words, right? We were talking about that this morning. So, you know, that's the sort of thing that we've been, you know, dealing with here. But let every man be persuaded, fully persuaded, in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Amen. So, you know, that, that's, that's the, where we, I mean, how, how, many, how many messages, Russell, are you going to preach you know, on this sort of thing. Well, how much do we think upon it? You know, how much do we, how much do we, when we, we encounter it frequently, don't we? I mean, frequently we encounter this thing. Um, we, we need to be well-versed here because we don't need to major on the minors. I mean, that could be the thing that, that, um, you know, could, could be something where somebody's like, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. You know, you're, you're making this big deal about that thing, you know. Um, you know, we, we, what's important I mean, if, if I, ask, I, I ask my kids this question frequently, sometimes it catches them off guard. What is the gospel? I mean, if you had to give me one word, I don't usually do that to them, but if you gave me one word, what is the gospel? We had good news? We had God? Anybody else say something different? Hmm? What, sister? One word, brother. <laughs> what did you say, sister? Love. Love, okay. 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 Mm-hmm. One. Yes. Christ is the gospel. Right. Everything y'all said, true. Yeah. Everything y'all said is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same for the Old Testament too, though, sister. They were all said the same way. Yeah. So, so if we had to narrow it down to one word, everything y'all said fits into Christ. You know, and the thing that Brother JT was trying to say, but he was using more words. You know, but one word, it's Christ. Um, so, those are not things that that we can be wishy washy on. Uh, those are not things, not wishy-washy, that's not a good word. Um, those are not things that we can have differences of opinion on. Um, you know, that, that's, that's major, that's not minor. Uh, that's fundamental, that's primary, it's not secondary. You know, but there are secondary things that we need to be careful that we don't try to push, you know, those things on other people um, and make those things gospel, you know, so... That's, do we need to hear this? I think so. Um, the Lord hasn't let me up off of it, so I'm still here. And we want to talk about it some more from another perspective aspect this morning in regards to the conscience, which, where do we find that word in our text? I mean, where are you coming from with conscience? Let every man be fully persuaded. That's where I'm coming from, okay? And it's not without context, because your conscience bears one thing, you can eat meat, the other person's conscience bears another thing. They can't eat meat. 
You know, so it's it's here. It's in our text. Okay, um, I'm not grasping at straws this morning. You know, it's 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 here before us. But before we get into the message, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do pray that as we Father are gathered here together this morning, Father, even according to that's not something that's that's secondary. That's that's a primary thing. You called us to gather together. And so here we are. And Father, what do we gather together for? Just to be here? Just because it's the right thing to do? Just because of what we're supposed to do? That's fading fast, it seems like, in our culture. Or are we here because we desire to know Christ? To know more of Christ? To be conformed to the image of Christ? To glorify you in all that we do? Father, in our interactions, whether it be with one another, or with the world, or with the government... Father, we want to respond in every one of these things, and we've been talking about all three of those in these passages that we've recently been looking at. Father, we want to be able to respond in every aspect in a way that brings glory and brings honor unto your name. We want to respond in a right way. We want to respond in a godly way. We want to be what you called us to be. We want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And Father, we want to be conformed into that image above all other images, into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we'd have the mind of Christ, that we would know Christ, Father. That's our our desire here this morning. So speak unto us, we pray. Let it not be a man that speaks. Let your word speak unto us. Let it not just be words on a printed page, but... Beyond the sacred page, let, as we sing, let, let us seek you, Lord, um, that we may know you. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, last week, like we said, we left off in our discussion regarding being fully persuaded with the thought of the conscience. And we're not concerned with just our consciences. We need to be concerned with our consciences. You've got a conscience, right? Everybody's got a conscience. You know, so we're, we're concerned about our conscience, but we are concerned with the conscience in the context of where we are. We're concerned with the conscience of our brother or sister. They may not be, again, like we said so many times already before, they may not be where we are. Let them be fully persuaded. You know, let their conscience bear things out. Let them be fully persuaded in their own mind. Um, so this is what we want to talk about, but as we do... I kind of wanted to give us a refresher, you know, on the conscience. But here's what we don't want to be guilty of in the end. We don't want to be guilty of putting a stumbling block in front of our brother or sister, right? So, first of all, like we said already, everyone has a conscience. We all come equipped with one. It's God-given. And it's a remarkable thing. It's an amazing thing that we have. Uh, that that we've been given, that even the natural man has. Um, think about it in, in these terms. I was thinking about the conscience and what a gift, you know, it is. Um, you know, for us as believers, you know, thinking about it like the, the parable of the talent, you know, what am I doing with it? You know, am, am, I, am I abusing it, <laughs> you know? Uh, or or and do I have a, a good and a clean and a clear conscience? Am I listening to my conscience? Because my conscience will speak to me, won't it? I mean, we're not... Walt Disney, Pinocchio, Jiminy Cricket, you know, that's not let your conscience be your God sort of thing we're talking about. That was, that was an external thing, you know. Uh, this, is, this is within us. 
You know, this, this, is, this is more than morality, you know, for us. This is what's pleasing in the sight of God. You know, so we have one. God expects us to use it. Some profit from the exchange. Just like with the parable of the talents, some people profited from that exchange. Other people went and tried to bury it in the earth. And an unbeliever, that's what he's, he's going to do. He's going to seek to bury it. Um, it's in some regard. You know, we see the end result of it in Romans 1, don't we? They're given over to what? A reprobate mind, right? And they knew God, so, but they glorified him not as God. You know? So your conscience, every man's conscience comes equipped with knowing some things. God says, they knew me and they didn't glorify me. And they weren't thankful. And they became foolish in their imagination. They be, you know, vain in their imagination, their foolish heart became darkened. You know, so you know, they, they professed themselves to be wise, and yet they were fools, the Scripture says. It's foolish, in other words, to ignore the conscience. If your conscience speaks to you, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Brother Jerry and I were talking about something along those lines earlier today. You know, in that when the Lord speaks to us, if we don't do that thing the Lord impresses upon us to do, how miserable do we feel? You know, uh, so your conscience can can not bother you, and that's a good thing. You know, you're you're going along, and it's kind of like I've used this before. I've told you this before about Mark Lacour's illustration that he gives about the conscience, about about the the red light and the green light and the yellow light, right? I mean, you come up to the light at an intersection. And the light's red. The conscience is saying, stop. It's yellow. Be careful. You know, it's green. It's not troubling you. You Go. You know, um, this is, there's nothing wrong here. Go, go on along. Um, move forward. What is the conscience? I think mostly the conscience is an independent witness. You know, you think about it. Here we are going about our day, and you've got this... And it, it, it's, it's, it's not necessarily being swayed about what you want, you know, what you desire. You know, it's over here saying, uh-uh, uh, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. Have we ever thought that, Donnie? Whether it was on a bike or something. <laughs> this is not a good idea. Maybe we should have listened. You know, I don't know. Um, but the conscience is an independent witness out here, and it will testify against you, Right? You think about a court of law, they bring in an expert witness, you know, and it testifies in this matter, whatever this matter may be, but here's the conscience. It's, it's testifying, you know, for or well, not really, really it's testifying against, you know, if it's, if it's for, it's, you're not going to be troubled, you know, by it, but if it's something that you shouldn't be doing, you know, you shouldn't do it, the conscience is going to testify, you know, against you. It's going to distinguish, you know, between in a sense what's good and bad, but it's going to show up, you know, when there's something that's not right, when there's something that's not right. So it either excuses or condemns, you know, our actions in, in that re- regard. But, you know, it, I guess I would say this. It doesn't directly point us towards what's good, but it'll tell us what's wrong. You know, it will. You think about a, a Geiger counter. You know what those are, right? You know, Cohen could probably give us a better definition. But, but um, from what I understand about it, it... It detects alpha particles. It, it has to do with radiation. You know the noise that it makes. You've heard them, you know, on the on the um, you know movies and things. But you think about that Geiger counter. What's it? What's it really detecting? 
we've got a problem here. There's radiation, you know. So think about the conscious. It's, your conscious is kind of like that. You know, it's detecting what is wrong. You know, what, is, what, what, what we shouldn't be, you know, doing. Paul said in Acts 24, 16 that he exercised himself. He says, I exercise myself in Acts 24, 16 to have always a conscience void of what? Anybody? Offense. Void of offense. So here's, here's this conscience. You know, it's offended. You know, well, we get, we get back, the, the needle's you know, going this way. I need to get the needle back, you know, over here. You know, it's, it's, it's detecting something wrong here. You know, it's making that noise, you know, again. So that word void, meaning there, without offense. The conscience is a gift of God, which God has given to register or to show unto us what is wrong, you know, in his sight. Paul said that he exercised that conscience. He listened to it. He paid attention, paid heed unto it. I mean, you think about Luther when he stood, you know, there, and, and, and you remember they were telling him to recant all these things that he had written and said. He said he couldn't, you know, unless he was convinced, you know, by reason, plain truth from the Word of God, you know, his conscience was bound you know, this is what's right. I can't do the other thing that you're saying that I should do. Um, let me put it another way. I heard a story not too long ago that Brother Charles Leiter had uh, given as an illustration. There's a, a village down the mountain, and so the village, as far as their power is concerned, you know, was fed by the water that came down off the mountain and went into a, turned a generator, you know, turned a wheel kind of in a generator, right? And Ever so often, the lights would get dim, and they knew there was a problem, and they'd go up the mountain, and you know what they discovered the problem was? Have I told you all this before? No? There was, there was a, like a storm drain at the top, you know, as that water ran in that would catch debris, and that drain had gotten clogged, and there was lots of sticks and lots of thatch and lots of rocks, and they had to go up there and clear that off, you know, so the water would start running again. Well, think about the conscience, you know, in, in that regard. You know, here, there's lots of things that kind of get clogged up there. You know, it's got to be clear. If your conscience is going to be clear, you're going to have to move those things out of the way. The conscience said, whoa, you know, got to move that out of the way so that, that everything's clear. That, like we sing, nothing between my soul and the Savior. You know, there not be anything between. Uh, now, we have more than a conscience. I know we'll talk about that, but we have the Spirit of God. You know, but every man comes with uh, a conscience. Um, so let's say this because we know the natural man has a conscience right let's say this there's enough whether we want to use the word light or another word there's enough light here the conscience I mean there's enough light here to condemn a man right because doesn't the word of God say that the law of God is written upon their hearts right so there's enough light here to condemn a man. Those outside of Christ are under condemnation. Their conscience has been registering wrong. Their conscience has been recording wrong. Their conscience has been testifying against them, and their conscience will testify you know, against them. And if a man can't stand before his own conscience, how will he stand before God? Imagine that. If he can't stand before his own conscience, how 
Will they be able to stand before God? You know, the sting of the conscience uh, here is but a foretaste of hell. You can imagine the conscience stinging and stinging and stinging. We talked about that earlier. One man said conscience is a standing power in a man. It's a lasting or continuing power in a man that is evermore with him. So the conscience is continually with him. I mean, he can do a deed in the dark. Conscience is there, you know. Um, he can try to hide something. Conscience is He can't get away from it. It's there. It is there. It is evermore with him and will evermore judge him and condemn him if he be guilty before God. Romans 1.19. We mentioned this already because they, that which may be known of God is what? Manifest in them. In them. It's in them. You know, it's not outside of them. It can be outside of them too, but like somebody gave Brother Conrad that, that, uh, that big framed copy of the Ten Commandments. Do you remember where it was? It was on the wall outside the building, you know. You know, those who were inside, those things they knew. You know, that's, that's for the people that are outside, you know. Uh, that's what Brother Conrad thought about it. But it says, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. What's one of the ways? I mean, we know there's creation too, but what's one of the ways? The thing that we're talking about now. It's the conscience. God hath showed it unto them. You get down to the end of the chapter, and it says in verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, how do they know that? God showed it to them. That they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Always. And they, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. You know, they, they exchanged it for birds and, and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They worshiped those things. But listen, you know, we've already, I've already stated this as much, but let me read it to you from Scripture, right? Romans 2 and verse 15 says, which shows the work of the law written in their hearts, their consciences, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So there's this conscience and there's the law of God written upon their hearts and their conscience is bearing witness. Did you, did you hear that there? Their conscience bearing witness. That's why I said, said before about the conscience being an independent witness. Because the conscience is bearing witness. It says right there, their conscience also bearing witness. So the conscience is a witness of the work of the law of God written. It, it, it's really, I mean, honestly, it's, 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 a, it's a proof, you know, of, of God that he is. Because this is written. I mean, you, you, you go into a place where, um, I mean, I don't, do these places still exist? I don't, I'm, I'm sure there are some places somewhere, I don't know. But you go to places where the, the preaching of the word hasn't gone. And still, they know things. How do they know those things? They may be worshiping something else, but they know some things. God's written it upon their hearts. They come equipped with it. I mean, when you're born, you, you, you got one before you were born, but you've got one. You know, you have a conscience. So it's a witness of the work of the law written by God in the heart of man that will testify against him 
right now. But guess what? It's going to testify against him beyond the grave. You know, he's going to stand before God on the day of judgment. His conscience. I mean, you think about what's going to be the witness. I mean, <laughs> here's this conscience that's seen everything. But not that God hasn't seen everything. We know that. But this conscience has observed everything. And he's gone against the conscience again and again and again. Uh, he's, he's, he's defiled his conscience. We read about you know, that in Scripture. So it bears witness and it records our actions. And it will bear witness to God against sinful men. One man said this in that regard. He said, let the atheist bark against this as long as they will. Beyond the grave, their conscience will appear before God and give an account of their deeds still. You know, they can bark against it all they want to, but it's there. It is there. You know, that, that dog that we have at the house barks at all sorts of things. You know, it's all that I, I try to learn her bark because she has a bark when it's a person that's coming into the yard. She has a bark when it's just the chickens that, you know, are, are fluttering around, you know, but she'll bark at all kind of things. Well, the atheist is going to bark against God, but inside him, he has a witness. He can't get away from it. And you've read about some of them like Voltaire at the end. They were like, I hope there's not a God. You know, I'm in trouble, you know, if there is. So it is a witness to our actions that testifies. Second Corinthians one twelve says this, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. Why did I read that? Because of what it says there. The testimony. So we said witness but also a testimony, the testimony of the conscience. The conscience, it's going to give a testimony, you know, against certain deeds, against evil deeds. Think about Joseph's brothers. How long, do you remember how long about it was that it passed from the time that they sold Joseph into slavery until the time that they appear before him? It's been about 20 years. That's a long time. You know, long time to quell the conscience, long time to shut it up, long time to get over that, get beyond that far enough distance. Time will heal anything, right? That's what the world says. No, no. We read in Genesis forty-two twenty-one, they said to one another, yeah, they were in trouble. They said to one another, we are very guilty concerning our, they didn't know it was Joseph they were standing before. He had hidden himself from them. We are very guilty. This is happening to us. We're very guilty because of our brother. We saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Twenty years later, the deed that they had done way back then was haunting them still that day. You know, that day was still come before them. How about Judas? Judas liked to have the money bag, right? He liked to be the treasurer because he could put his hand in a money bag, right? And so he was going to betray the Lord for what? Money. But after he got what he wanted, it didn't satisfy. What got him? His conscience. It did. He had betrayed innocent blood. And what did he do? He went out and hung himself. You know, his, he, he couldn't bear it. He went and threw the money back, you know, at him. And they're, they're, they're like, that's your problem. 
You know, that's not our problem. That's your problem. That's your conscience, not ours. Well, they were in the wrong too, but the conscience continues to operate within a man. He, he seeks to silence it, but it's still there. It's still there. 20 years later, here it comes back. He can, he can seek to sear it with a hot iron. You know, we see that in Scripture too, don't we? And, 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 I, and, I, and I used to think that, that that meant that there was no feeling whatsoever. But I'm not so sure anymore. I think there's still a twinge of it there. It's, it, it gets easier to ignore it. But it's still there. You know, it's, it's a voice he doesn't want to hear, but it's still there, you know. Um, and the Lord can still use it, you know, to, to bring things to mind and to even by his spirit bring them under conviction. Um, they, maybe they've walked down that road a long ways. Maybe that grate that's up there, you know, it's, it's I mean, there's just a little trickle that's making it through. He's almost stopped it all the way up. But God's still working. God's still working. So... And in us as believers, it continues to operate in us, we know. We don't, we don't just jettison our conscience, you know, our conscience because we become Christians. You know, we still have it, don't we? You know, Paul talks about it. He, he exercised it to be void of offense before God and before men, right? So it's still being exercised, you know, by the Apostle Paul. So in relationship to the, the conscience, I, I was thinking about um, John chapter 8, you know, and I mentioned this already this morning, but uh, where the woman's brought before the Lord, caught in the very act. Doesn't just say caught in adultery. It says caught in the very act of adultery, right? That's what the scripture says. So she must have been targeted by the Pharisees, I'm sure. And they said to him, because they were seeking something against him, this is what the law says. She needs to be put to death. What do you say? So I bring this up because that matter of the conscience is in there, isn't it? Uh, John 8, verse 7 says, So when they continued asking him, you remember the Lord was bent over and he was drawing in the dirt. He lifted himself up and he said unto them, and think about the power of the conscience, okay? These people weren't, they, they, they didn't have any qualms about putting this woman to death. I mean, that's something that they were raised with. You know, if, you, if that was done, you know, certain sins, I mean, they were worthy of death. Um, so they didn't have any qualms about that, about stoning people. They did it, didn't they? For lesser things. I mean, they stoned Stephen, you know, just because of the gospel that he was preaching. They wanted to stone the Lord because he said, I am. And they knew what I am meant. And he, was, he was equating himself equal with God, you know. So they didn't have any qualms about throwing stones. But think about the conscience in, in this regard. And isn't it interesting how we can see different things as we come across different parts of Scripture. You know, we've read this passage. I don't know how much we've ever thought about it in, in, the, in these terms, in this way anyway. The, conscience, the word conscience is in here, but it says that they continued to ask him. And so he stood up and he said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. These men weren't here because they wanted to hear the truth. They weren't here because they were interested in hearing the gospel proclaimed. You know, they were here to catch the Lord in some sort of, you know, by some sort of device to get something against him. And so here they were, and the Lord saying unto them, whoever's without sin, let him throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again. He didn't continue to stand there looking them in the face 
you know, waiting for a rebuttal, he stoops down again and wrote on the ground. And it says in verse number nine that they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, until the Lord was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And he lifted himself up and all those men were gone. Saw none but the woman. And he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. But imagine, those, those guys had an axe to grind. And, and, and the axe we know they had to grind was against the Lord. But like I said, they would have gladly ground that other axe the other side of that axe and threw stones at that woman until the Lord said what he said and their consciences convicted them and they went out one by one. They were seeking something but not the truth. They were seeking something against him and in the end it was their own consciences. We use the word witness and testify. It was their own consciences that testified against them because the Lord said, who's without sin cast the first stone? And their consciences were there testifying. You're not without sin. You can't cast a stone at her. I mean, what must that have felt like for them at that moment? I mean, we're talking about what we mentioned this morning, right? When he spoke, it was with what? Authority and power. You know, can you imagine what these men were hearing? And not only that, think about the woman. I mean, she wasn't anticipating this being her day, right? I mean, she's drug out of bed, literally. And before all these men... And the Lord says, you know, where are your accusers? Is there no one to condemn you? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. She found something she wasn't looking for. They were looking for something and they didn't find it. (laughs) But she found something she wasn't looking for. They were convicted of their own consciences. I mean, these these were hardened hearts, right? I mean, these, these are Pharisees looking, you know, to, to condemn the Lord. These, these are stiff necks. What a powerful force God has created the conscience to be within a man. Of course, by the end of the chapter, they're ready to do what? Throw stones at him. You know. The woman could have been content to continue in her adultery before that encounter, but... The Lord says, go and sin no more. Uh, I think there may have been, could have been, hope there was some reality uh, of, of what the Lord was saying to her, um, that she turned from her sin and to the Lord. We don't know for sure, um, but, but here was this woman. I, I can't imagine that didn't have some sort of a, uh, an effect upon her, their consciences being convicted that her conscience wasn't, you know. I think about what Paul says in Romans 9, verse 1, speaking of the relationship of the Holy Spirit and the conscience. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's love. You know, I mean... Wish himself accursed, you know, for his kinsmen. Um, and and he, what's he saying there? What's the point? Why do I read that? I lie not. 
My conscience is bearing witness that I'm telling the truth. My conscience before God's bearing witness that I'm telling the truth. You know, bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I think about Cain. We talked about Judas, you know. Um, I think about Cain slew his brother Abel, right? And the Lord said, where's your brother? Think the conscience was pricked? Hmm? I think it was. Um, The Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. You're a liar, the conscience said. Don't you think? God knows what you've done. You're a liar. Am I my brother's keeper? Imagine at that moment, Cain's conscience was bearing witness against him, but it didn't lead to repentance. It doesn't seem. We don't, we don't see that. But God gives a man a conscience in a sense as a keeper. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm frequently, my, my, my dad and my brother one day brought 39 chickens. Is it 39? Brought 39 chickens out to the house. I hear a ruckus out there. I look out the window, Cohen. Like, What's going on? I'm trying to keep, you know, all those chickens. One of them gets out, lady goes out there, and she'll chase it around the pen, have the gate open, and it'll go back in. It's trying to find a way in, you know, all the way around, but um, the square in the fence is about like that, and most of those chickens are bigger than that. Some of them can fit through, but uh, most of them can't. But a keeper, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I'm, 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 those are brought out there, I need to keep them. Take care of them. Well, guess what? The conscience is kind of like that. You know? In a sense, our keeper to watch, to follow, to be always, in a sense, upon our heels. We've got some other animals out there. Um, and if the dog was out, the dog would be this way, but it's mostly the cats. They're at your heels all the time. They're following you around, you know, mostly because they're hoping that you might feed them. Um, but they're just always following, you know. Until I turn around, they know there's no chance, I guess that they're going to get fed. And I walk back from the garden and it sounds like a herd of horses, you know, coming behind me. There's only three of them, but boy, they can make a lot of noise when their paws hit the ground because there's not any grass right there. That path, that's just dirt, you know, and it's just like, you know, coming right past. It kind of scares you. There's a little bitty thing this big and you're startled by this thing going by you. Um, but, but like a dog always at somebody's heels. There was, you had a neighbor um, that lived next to the garage across the street. Uh, Perry, wasn't, that was his name, wasn't it? And Perry had a dog. And when I'd go over to see Perry, that dog would just nip right at your heels. And he'd get onto that dog, but it'd still nip right at your heels all the time. A few people that were with me at times that actually got him and drew blood, you know, but, but um, didn't, you know, just a little scratch, you know, but it still drew blood. But the conscience is there at our heels, prying into our actions. It's nosy, in a sense, you know. It's, 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 it's prying into our actions. It's bearing witness of them all. It's there to testify against wrong. Does it really bring conviction that leads unto repentance? That's the Spirit's work. That's the Spirit's work. But the Spirit can use the conscience for that task. But the conscience is a wonderful God-given means that we come forth from the womb speaking against at very early stages, right? Very early stages. We come forth from the womb speaking what? <laughs> the conscience is there. <laughs> it's already there. Um, I don't know how that works itself out in a baby that knows they're doing something wrong that can't speak yet. You know, I don't remember that far back. And 
my own experience, but it's there. It's working. You know, they know they've done wrong. Um, but you think about the Spirit of God bringing conviction and repentance. I think about, you know, Zacchaeus. And after his encounter with the Lord, I mean, the Lord said, we don't have to wonder about Zacchaeus, do we? The Lord said, today is salvation come into this house. You know, we don't have to wonder about Zacchaeus. And because of that, that work in Zacchaeus, his response and his conscience probably bringing some, some things to mind, he said, Lord, if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to repay it how many times? Anybody? Fourfold? Let me pay it fourfold. Let me read it and make sure I'm right. Because I saw you say seven, because that's what I thought this morning too. He said, if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore, restore him fourfold. Yeah. Um, his conscience was bearing witness. His soul was awakened. You know, and his conscience was bearing witness. He sought to make right wrong that he had done. Whatever wrong he had done, he wanted to make it right. If he had wronged a man, he wanted to go make it right. Who does that sort of thing? Not just a conscience, but the Spirit of God upon a conscience will do that sort of thing. One man said, in these unconscionable days, most people make no conscience to sin against conscience. Some have sinned so long against conscience that they have lost all conscience of sin. All conscience of sin. I keep trying to say conscious when I'm saying conscience. If you've heard me, you may have heard me do that. I'm catching myself when I do it. But There are some in Scripture, adversely from the Spirit working in the conscience, there are some in Scripture who it says in 1 Timothy 4, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It's not something that happens in one fell swoop. You know, it's, it's not just, you, you've, you've had, if you've ever chopped firewood before. You done any of that, Brother JT? Cohen, you're chopping firewood? Have, have there been those times whenever you've been able to bring the axe down, Brother Jerry, and it goes all the way through? Just one fell swoop. Yes, it's a great feeling. Just splits it wide open. Well, it doesn't doesn't happen that way with the conscience. The person that sears their conscience with the hot iron doesn't happen altogether right away. Not one fell swoop. But it happens little by little. You hear you hear Brother JT talk about here a little, there a little. You know, the Lord's blessed us, you know. You know, line that's fallen unto us in pleasant places, line upon line, precept upon precept. Well, in an adverse, negative way, little by little, they've sinned against this conscience. Failing to make proper course corrections, ultimately they find themselves shipwrecked. You know, things that were unacceptable at one time become more and more acceptable. Well, I won't cross. We talked about this, haven't we? Won't cross that line. Then you cross that one. Say, well, I crossed that one, but I won't cross that one. Then they just keep going and they keep going and they keep going. Man may sear their conscience, but they can't silence it. I don't think. I don't think. One person. I mean, this this guy was was animated about the about the defiled conscience. Listen to this. One person I read this week said that a seared conscience is a 
rotten, venomous, ulcerated, pestilent, filthy, I don't know if I can say this right. It has to do with gangrene. Gangrenated, if I'm saying that right, conscience. Like I said, he was animated about a defiled conscience, wasn't he? He was trying to give a a proper picture of it. What was he essentially trying to say? It's sick. It's sick. And only those who know that they're sick have need of a physician, right? Um, So it's sick. By the operation of the Spirit, we could see that it was sick. But just the conscience itself is not a thing that, as far as we can tell in Scripture, you know, that I could see in Scripture, you know, would be something that would cause a man to repent. It's going to take the work of God, you know, not that God's not working in the conscience. I mean, we can't say that. But I think it takes the Spirit of God in conjunction with the conscience, you know. You're not going to silence that, are you? Um, you're not going to sear that. <laughs> uh, you're not, you don't want to. If, if the Lord's changed the heart, I mean, you, what do you say? Lord, examine me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the path of righteousness. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what the one who's, who's quickened by the Spirit. I mean, the person that just has a conscience isn't necessarily quickened. But we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were there, had that conscience, and it was speaking against us. And we were still dead in trespasses and sins. But when we were quickened by the Spirit... Then things changed. Our heart was changed. Our whole life changed. What was it, brother? Or accuse. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we've seen some things, you know, about, about the conscience. Um, you know, a function of the conscience and being fully persuaded, trying to come back now and, and, and tie it to you know, where we are, um, you know, make application to it, in other words. We've seen, though, how powerfully the conscience can affect a person, right? Uh, we, we understand that. Um, the, the conscience in the Christian, you know, responds uh, in a different way, I think, that we know than the natural man does. The natural man can choose to or seek to ignore it and get over it, uh, but it's not so with the believer. You know, the, the believer... You know, it, it, the, the conscience weighs heavy, you know, upon him. And so as, as we seek to, to, to make application to it here, I mean, you think about the weaker brother now that we've talked about the conscience. And you think about how that conscience, I mean, it's a powerful thing. And, and he doesn't feel like he can do something or she doesn't feel like she can do something that you have absolute and utter liberty to be able to do yourself. Your conscience doesn't trouble you over that. But we understand how powerful the conscience can be. And we don't want, as we said before, to put a stumbling block before someone and say, get over it. No, that's where they are. It's where the Lord has them. They're not fully persuaded to what you're persuaded to yet. They, they have need yet themselves to be fully persuaded in their own mind. The Lord may use us to do that. You know, but, but it's something that the Lord is going to have to work in them and do in them. I mean, it, the things that, that you have liberty to be able to do, I mean, you think about the whole issue of, of, of meat sacrificed to idols here. You know, the ones that didn't sacrifice meat to idols, you know, maybe they didn't have trouble with it. But the one who used to give himself to that idol, you know, and that meant a lot more, you know, that meat being sacrificed there, he doesn't want anything to do with it. You know, get that thing as far away from me as possible. Um, 
So we have to be, we have to be careful. Uh, as Paul said here, and do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So there is that conscience that we have before God that we're seeking to maintain and be void of offense. And there's that conscience between you and me, you know, that we're seeking to keep from, you know, I don't want to offend. I don't want to cause to stumble. You know, I want my conscience to be void of offense before God and before, you know, men. Richard Sibbs said that the conscience is the soul itself reflecting upon itself. It's the soul reflecting upon itself is what he called it. And what reflection do we want to see? I want to see Christ in you. You want to see Christ in me. I want to see Christ in myself. You know, we're not like those who look into the mirror and go away and forget what we saw. You know, we're looking at Christ. We're, we're beholding him steadfastly and saying, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to do the things that you would have me to do. We don't, and going back to what we said, we don't live unto ourselves. We don't die unto ourselves. We live unto the Lord. So, a good conscience can bring us joy. But an offended conscience can produce great sorrow. It can produce great sorrow. Now that I meant to put this up in the beginning, but sometimes as I'm going through the week and, and I'm, I'm adding things... I have to go back through things over and over again because I'm never sitting at it, you know, at, in one fell swoop, so to speak, and going through things. Um, it's, it's interrupted. It's here. It's there. It's here a little, there a little, brother. You know, um, the, the word conscience, it's derived from two words. One is to know, and the other is with. To know with. The conscience is a knowledge of me and of my heart before God. It's to know with. It's informed by the Word of God. Um, we talked about this early on, you know, with the weaker brethren, you know, in certain things they can't do. It's sometimes informed by what I was saying before about how that they've done something, they've been involved in something that you haven't been involved in, and they can't be around that. I mean, go back to such a simple thing as the guy with ping pong. You remember the ping pong, you know, illustration that we gave? that guy probably couldn't be around a ping-pong table. You know, so uh, there, there are things that, that they have difficulty with, but the conscience of the knowledge of me and of my heart before God, what I have done, am doing, what I think, now thinking, what I thought, what I'm saying. One person put it like this. He said, there's four sorts of consciences, some bad and unquiet, some bad and quiet, some good and unquiet, and some good and quiet. You know, which one do you have? Which one do I have? We want a testimony of a good conscience. That's what we want to have, is a testimony of a good conscience. It's what we're called to have. But just to remind you again, the beginning of the chapter, those who are strong are called to bear with the weak, not to put a stumbling block in their path, not trying to convince them to do something they don't believe they can do. Go back towards the end of the chapter, because we read through some of these things already, read through the whole chapter in the beginning, but Romans fourteen fifteen, if thy brother be grieved with meat, you're not walking charitably. You're not walking lovingly. Don't destroy him with meat for whom Christ died. You know, it's that serious. It's that serious. Because in verse number 23, it says, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith for whatsoever is not a faith is sin. You're causing, there's the stumbling, right? You're causing your brother to stumble. Um, 
it's how important is it? I don't I don't know if I've mentioned this passage in Mark nine forty two, but I think it has bearing. I may have already mentioned this, but let me just say it again. When you think about causing, it's not good for you to go against your conscience, right? Can we all agree to that? It's not good for us to go against conscience. I don't think we have a problem with that. It's not good to cause somebody else to go against their conscience. You know how we could think that way? I don't know, but we do. But Mark nine forty two says. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. You know, so we don't want to be a cause of offense you know, in any way. We want to be void you know, of offense. We want to do our best to maintain a clear conscience, a good conscience, before God and before men. Not to go against it, to pay attention to it, to keep it void of offense. So be careful. How we respond, how we interact. We're called to love, we're called to bear with, we're called to be patient with one another. After all, we are a body, right? We've all hurt our body before. I mean, Brother Donnie's standing up right now. Most of you can't see him because you haven't turned around and looked. Now I've called attention to him. Everybody's wondering, what's Brother Donnie doing? Well, he, he's, he's standing there because his back hurts. You know, it, it hurts to sit down in that, in that, in that bench um, you know, in, in the condition that he's in. So it's easier for him to stand up. Well, he knows something about bodily pain right now with his back. We all know something about bodily pain. Uh, brother, you just had surgery. You know, you, you, you know something about the pain that you were in before. You know something about the surgical you know, pain afterwards. You know, we know something about pain. You know, I, I don't know, as far as all of us that are here, I mean, I, I know Brother JT's had open heart surgery. You know, that's, that's pretty serious stuff. Like maybe somebody else here's had that, I don't know. But, but uh, we know something about pain. We know something about what it is. I guess they gave you one of those pillows, right, brother, after surgery? And if you were going to cough, you were supposed to hold that thing, right? You didn't do it. <laughs> they gave you a teddy bear? Well, I, I know Brother David Gatch. You know, he had to have that done, you know, and they gave him that pillow. And, and I talked to him. He said, don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. It hurts, you know. And if he had to cough, he had to hold that pillow because it hurt. But you see the illustration. I mean, we're, we're taking care of the body. So if there's a weaker brother or sister, I mean, it's no different. They're part of the body. I mean, we don't need to forget that. We went through that in earlier verses. We're all part of the same body. Uh, if there's a weaker part, the stronger part takes care of the weaker part. You know, I, I had a gout attack this week. I hadn't had one of those in a while, the way that I had it this week. Um, and I'm still using some of the same things to control it when I have it, but it's Andrew's fault. He, he brought home a whole case of, of, he knows I like big red sodas, and he brought home a whole case of it. And sugar can have an effect upon gout. Um, it's not just red meat and purines that you, you read about, and if you read about that condition before. But, and he bought another one. He doesn't know it. I'm just messing with him. But he brought home another case. You're going to have to drink all those. I can't have them. It won't be a problem for him. He'll be able, don't feel sorry for him. He'll be able to drink every one of them. Um, there's two of them sitting in the refrigerator, I think, or did you drink them all? I don't know. Um, they're ready for you when you get home. Don't worry about me getting one of them. You can have both of them because uh, I don't like that pain. But I've been favoring that foot all week. My computer's upstairs, and so it's fun, you know, walking up those stairs. It's not as hard going up them as it is coming down them, you know, because there's 220 pounds coming down that foot, you know, as it's going down the stairs, and it hurts. Um, I've walked up stairs with crutches before. It's been so bad because I couldn't put it down at all. Uh, that's kind of dangerous because I'm not real coordinated. You know, fall down the stairs with crutches, that's, that's going to be bad going. 
and get all tangled up in them things as you're coming down. Uh, you know, one arm and that one and this one, and they're both broke, and, you know, I don't know. Uh, by the time you get to the bottom, that's why I don't ski. Yeah, that's, that looks dangerous to me. There's, they can go both ways, you know. Having one, but still having both feet go down in a snowboard, that's, that's kind of dangerous too. I can't get my foot loose. Um, I, 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 I was real nervous about getting off that ski lift with that thing. You know, I had one foot locked in, and I just knew that I was not going to be able to get off, and all those chairs behind me were going to be whack, 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 whack. And people all piling up, you know, or having to go all back around because they can't get around me. Um, but you know, we know what it is like to support a part of the body that's, that's injured. You know, I've had to do that this week. And so how we need to think in those terms. Lord, help us to be able to think in those terms whenever we see anybody around us hurting in any way that we can think, Lord, that's part of the body. I need to go to it. I need to tend to it. I need to help it. I need to do whatever I can for it. Um, you know, for me, it was drinking lots of baking soda. That's one of the helps for gout. It doesn't really taste that great. Anybody ever drank baking soda before? No? I figured you might have, sister. You know, no? Never drank baking soda? Yeah. It's got a salty taste to it, but it's not real pleasant. Um, it's kind of an icky sort of a taste, but... Anyway, if we had a part of our body that was wounded, would we not care for it, treat it until it was healed? You know, Lord, Lord save us from a one-size-fits-all mentality. Just because that's a thing with me doesn't mean it's a thing with somebody else. You know, um, speaking about being hurt, whenever, whenever I hit my head, I don't know, are you this way, Brother JT? If I hit my head, I got to rub it. You know, you do that? She hits something, don't touch it. You know, stay back, don't touch it, stop it. <laughs> you know, I want to go help it, you know. And she's like, nope. <laughs> Best thing I can do to help it is to not touch it, you know. But for me, i got to rub it. I guess because my mom, did you not rub when she got hurt? I don't know. She did, and it stuck, you know, with me. But, um, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all mentality. Not everybody's the same. Not everybody's in the same place. Um, we need to be sensitive to how they even want to be handled, you know, in a situation like that. Maybe they just want us to come up beside them and put our arm around them, you know. Um, I, I got a chance to recount that to Brother Paul Jordan recently. You know, he and I were talking about some things, and I said, Brother, thank you so much. When Teresa was sick and, and was having surgery, and we were down there on 1960 at that, was that Memorial Hospital? I think that's what the name of it was, wasn't it? No? Northwest. Northwest Hospital. We were there. I didn't even know he was coming that I remember, and there he was. He didn't say a whole lot, but there I was in the ICU waiting room, and he was sitting right beside me. And that meant a lot. Even to this day, you know, it still means a lot to me. You know, so how we can help one another, it may be different. And, and, and you know, maybe, you know, Delina, you know, it, 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 and, and, and Donnie and Cohen, and you know, it's, it's, it's a certain way, and then you get over here on the side over here, and mom's not exactly the same way. Or, you know, I'm not saying that is the, the case, but, and so we've, we've, we've got to be sensitive, you know, to those things. Um, and I, I appreciate how outgoing Sister Delina is, and, and how, I mean, she outwardly shows affections that the rest of us kind of feel on the inside, but we don't, like, show it on the outside, you know, but she does. Um, and that's good. And it makes me think, you know, I'll be a little more that way, you know. I, I'm not. But then again, if, if I'm just not comfortable, you know, being completely that way, you know, then maybe I ought not to be that way. It might get real awkward for somebody if I was that way. 
I don't know. Is our conscience clean and pure? Are we able to stand before God and say, my conscience is void of offense before God and before men? Is there anything between us and the Lord? You know, that's a function of the conscience, testifying and witnessing. So hopefully this has been, you know, maybe it's a refresher for the conscience. I don't know. Uh, but hopefully it, it, it brought some bearing upon what we've been talking about and to help us, you know, there a little bit. Let's stand and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. One brother told me what would help me to not preach so long is to put a, um, was it a lozenge or was it a peppermint? He said, if you put a peppermint in your mouth, when the peppermint's gone, you need to stop. <laughs> well, I didn't have a peppermint this morning, but I had just a little bit of gum, and it's completely dissolved, so I guess I've got to stop. <laughs> I didn't intend for that to happen, but I'm not going to spit it out in front of you. <laughs> so I've swallowed gum before as a kid. It'll be okay. <laughs> Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh,